At six o'clock, the sun would be setting. Sounds of the life beyond filtered into her room. The life of a busy country town that was also an inland port. She could hear the clop-clop of horses' hooves in the street, the whine of a steam saw down by the river, the rattle of cartwheels and the shunting of trains. And cutting across them all, the shrill, exciting note of a paddle steamer blowing off at the Camp Aspie Junction. She looked out at a glimpse of dusty backyard and next to it the backyard of the Shamrock Hotel beyond a grey paling fence. Sighing, she turned back to tinting a picture of the Achuka Wharf, lined with paddle steamers unloading bales of wool. It was her first day at the studio and she wanted to do well, but her heart wasn't in the work. The long, lovely, disturbing note of the steamer's whistle had set her foot tapping restlessly. Little Mr. Hamilton, thin and worried-looking in rimless glasses, came bustling in with a handful of tinted postcards she had done that morning. He put them down on her table, took off his glasses and tapped the cards with them. Very delicate work. Very credible, Miss Gordon. His mouth was thin, straight and unsmiling. She had not yet seen it relax. Yes. Yes, but, um, unfortunately, not what the people want. They like plenty of Antwerp blue. You mean the sky? I didn't want to make it look unreal. Yes, yes, but it's not reality they want. Only a pretty picture to send to their friends. The river in this one now looks a bit drab, doesn't it? But the Murray isn't the least bit blue, Mr Hamilton. True, true. It's either green or brown usually, but then people have fixed ideas. The sea is blue, the sea is water. Therefore, all water should be blue. Something like that, their minds work. Believe me, I know what will sell. Now, try and see what you can do with these. Delly's full bottom lip stuck out as she drew the bottle of Antwerp blue towards her. She had been delighted when her old friend Angus McPhee had found this job for her, but already she knew she was not going to like it. All her artistic instincts were in revolt against the requirements of public taste. Still, at least she'd be independent... She'd rather scrub floors than go back to being dependent on Aunt Hester to bring the orphan child, the helpless nuisance. I'll never go back to that farm, never, she said aloud. It was no good Mrs Mack wanting her to stay with them indefinitely as a kind of adopted daughter. She had insisted on paying board because she was really not much help in the home and anyway, she wanted to be free to put all her time into studying at the Achuka School of Arts. And now the McPhees were going to Bendigo, and she was really alone in the world. Alone in the world. It sounded pathetic, but also rather exciting when she said it to herself like that. And all her money was gone, though the bank had made some small reparations after the 93 crash. She had been living on her capital for two years now, and though Aunt Hester was only really about 15 miles away upriver, she never saw her. She had gone out to the buggy and exchanged a few words with her the last time Uncle Charles was in town. They had been polite and stiff. I wouldn't go back, she said to herself with her old childhood habit of dramatising a situation, if she asked me on her bended knees. No, Achuka was her home. This was the place where she had gone to her first ball and to picnics and parties with Adam. Though she still played tennis with Bessie Griggs, walked with her to church with a group of other young people and joined her in boating excursions on the river. She had drifted away from her since Adam died. 
She thought of Bessie's hurt tones when she had accused her of being sentimental. You're so unfeeling these days, Deli. I'm sure I cried more over Adam than you did, and you never go to the cemetery. Your own cousin, and such a handsome boy. Of course, she couldn't explain to Bessie how she felt about the cemetery, how it filled her with an oppressive horror of the physical fact of death. She had not felt like this over the lonely boards that marked the far southern cliff top where her family was buried. Yet the cemetery had nothing to do with her memory of Adam's warm and vital flesh. He lay in the large community cemetery on the outskirts of the town, where all denominations were buried in marked sections, keeping up among the dead the artificial divisions of the living. There was no graveyard at the church where Delly went each Sunday, from a kind of social habit rather than any spiritual solace she received there. The incumbent was the Reverend William Polson, who had been a curate.